We got some Bible reading to get to. So, um, so, so, so those mistakes that we were making during worship, um, those were mostly my fault, so you know. Um, right before we started, Linda said, switch the order of the songs, and I misunderstood what she said. So I started playing a different song, and she starts singing a different song. And I thought, well, that's not right. But I misunderstood what she said. So that was on me. Yeah, and also I was supposed to lead the last one, and she said, I'll sing this one. And I thought, I was supposed to do that. Yeah, I was. Now, that was on, totally on her. That was totally her fault. So Lynn and I have done this for years and years and years. Back in the day, none of that would have messed us up. But it's been a while since we do this together uh, like this. But back in the day, and my kids too, my kids all did this with us at different times. We would have just done it. Jesus enjoyed it, like in a, in a uh, humorous kind of way. All right, so I'm gonna, we're going to go into Ezekiel 5 quickly. We're going to look at some stuff because I think it plays into uh, some of the rest of this stuff. Then we're going to jump to Ezekiel 8, 8 and 9, really. We get, we, you have to go through 8 to get to 9, or 9 is not going to make total sense. Um, really, all of this. So Ezekiel, I, this is what I was saying at the beginning. We're not going to hit everything in Ezekiel. We're going to jump over some stuff, but really 6 and 7 are really part of five and lead into eight, and you'll just have to read that yourself. I'm not going to spend the time on it. He talks about some things, but I want us to look at chapter five, okay? Um, and somebody asked me, you know, it's been a while since we did like a, just a general question and answer. We're not going to, I'm going to wait till we get through Ezekiel, and then I'll do that some where we, where we just kind of uh, ask questions and look at some scripture stuff. Okay, Ezekiel five. Uh, Son of man, take a sharp sword and use it as a razor to shave your head and beard. Use a scale to weigh the hair into three equal parts. Place a third of it at the center of your map of Jerusalem. And remember, in the the, uh, first chapters, he made all this map and all this stuff. And that's why I was mentioning a a lot of commentaries, for some reason, say that uh, all of this map and the city and the walls and all the stuff, remember, that he built in the the first uh, few chapters, that that was all um, part of a vision and that he didn't actually physically do all that stuff. Except then you get to this chapter and he says, okay, now this, this uh, city of Jerusalem that you've built, little miniature scale, do this and this. Well, if it was all imagery and, and metaphor and all that, then what's, what's he doing here? This is, this is real. That he's he literally built a little Lego city of, um, of uh, Jerusalem with the walls and, and then put the steel plate in there and all this other stuff, right? So... So this is where, we, where, where we're at. Place a third of it at the center of your map of Jerusalem, third of his hair, his hair and beard. After acting out the siege, burn it there. Scatter another third across your map and chop it with a sword. Scatter the last third to the wind, for I will scatter my people with the sword. Keep just a bit of the hair and tie it up in your rope. That's why you're supposed to read the whole instruction booklet before you, you start the process, because if you don't, you get to keep just a bit of the hair, and he's already burned it, blown it to the wind, all that stuff. Keep just a bit of the hair and tie it up in your robe. Then take some of these hairs and throw them into the fire, burning them up. A fire will then spread from this remnant and destroy all of Israel. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This is an illustration of what will happen to to Jerusalem. Now, let's pause there because the next sentence kind of goes into some more things we can look at. But so why, why does God have him shave his hair and his beard. Why is, that, why is that part of this whole scenario? What does it even do? What does that mean? Again, these are things that we're having to look back into their understanding of their culture because we don't have, these, we don't have this for us. It's, it's a very humbling thing. Remember, um, uh, what was it, David's, uh, was it David's uh, men that um, were captured and they uh, shaved their hair and their beard and sent them back. And David asked, or was going to send them back, and David said, can they stay? Uh, well, told, told his guys, stay there for another uh, couple months until your hair and beard grow back out. Because that was a very embarrassing um, 
uh, shameful thing, okay? So what else is involved? There's, it's a major humbling thing. Uh, what else is involved in Scripture when we think about hair and beard? Nazarite. What about the Nazarites? Yeah, so, so that was part of their covenant with God, part of their understanding with God, is don't shave your hair or your beard. Uh, remember, this is, this is part of the deal with who? Who's, who's famous in Scripture for not cutting their hair? Samson. Samson. That was a covenant. That was part of the covenant that he had there, okay? I, I'm going to preach this in a message in the future. Um, I've already got the message prepared, but just to throw this out or to look at this, there's, there's different times in Scripture where, where people make covenants and make a covenant with God. Um, there's a couple elements that are very, very similar, and one element that is the, the same every single time they make a covenant. Any idea what the, ele- the one element that is consistent with all the covenants, or almost, almost all the covenants, but it's the most consistent part of the covenant? No, I'm saying something that they do, like not cut their hair or something like that. Hair, is, hair and beard are a lot of parts of covenants. I'll give you a, well, the blood is the, that's, that is the covenant. Um, when somebody makes a covenant, we see this with different prophets. We see it with um, just people. When they make the covenant and they say, God, I'm going to make a covenant with you, they, they do things like, I'm not going to cut my hair. That was Samson. He's not going to, but, but something else that was in Samson's covenant, which is in many covenants, is I'm also not going to drink alcohol. Now, you guys know how I feel about alcohol. I think it's, I think it's a horrible, horrible thing in society. I think alcohol is as bad or, or worse than drugs and anything else. Most of the crimes that happen, most of the, most of the domestic violence that happens, most problems that happen uh, come from starting with alcohol. It, that, that's very consistent in our society. A lot of pregnancies happen because of alcohol, all these different things, okay? It's interesting to me that when they make a covenant to be close to God, alcohol is almost always involved in the covenant. I will drink no alcohol. Another thing is when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, he cannot touch alcohol because if he does, God will kill him when he steps into the Holy of Holies, right? Now, why am I saying that? It's amazing to me that we have access nowadays, we have access past the Holy of Holies into the very throne room of God, and we never include some of the context of all of this stuff in the Old Testament. And, and I, I've always been critical of alcohol. I think it is horrible. I do not think the Bible says it's a sin, but I do know you can't walk in the Holy Spirit and drink alcohol. Scripture is very clear about that. Don't be drunk with wine, but opposite be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and we fight so hard for our right to drink. And I've never understood that in Christianity. We, we will fight. We will, we will argue. We will debate so that we have the ability or the freedom or whatever you want to call it to drink. Okay. But in the Old Testament, they weren't allowed into the Holy of Holies. You, you, would, you, you, you didn't have a covenant with God if you were drinking. All these things. Did they drink? Sure. Did they drink in the New Testament? It appears very obvious that they did. But all of the things that talk about getting close to God always leave alcohol behind. And then we wonder in the modern church why we can have a form of godliness but not the power of of God in our lives. And I think one of the biggest things, I think there's three big things, but I think one of the biggest things is we, we, we have alcohol. We drink alcohol. And that's just, I mean, I know a lot of Christians that strongly disagree with this, but I, I don't understand. If you want to get into the throne room of God, I don't think, I think... Alcohol, I think alcohol stops you from doing that. It stopped them in the Old Testament getting into the Holy of Holies. We get to go past that. Well, we see we have the blood of Jesus now. They had the blood of the animals, and they didn't drink alcohol. And everything in the New Testament is is a higher expectation. Think about it. So that's just my pick on us for a moment kind of thing. All right. So here's the thing. Their, Their covenant was wrapped up in their hair and their beard. Their uh, identity as male was wrapped up in their hair and their beard. It was a very humbling thing. It was a breaking of the understanding of the covenant. Um, they would grow their hair in certain ways with the, with the um, what do you call those, like, not pigtails, but braids. Braids sounds better. Um, 
not even braids, but they have, yeah, ringlets that hang down. And this is Old Testament stuff. This goes back in the Old Testament. Even the prayer um, uh, head covering, the prayer uh, beads, uh, uh, knots on their shawl, all this stuff, okay? So when he says, okay, now shave your hair and beard, this was very humbling to him. And then God says, now take that hair and burn it. Take some up, throw it to the wind. He said, this is what I'm going to do to the Israelites. I'm going to take their identity. I am going to humble them. And then I'm going to scatter them. And I'm going to destroy uh, pretty much everything that they are. This, this is a major, major thing that Ezekiel is talking about. And, he, and this, this, by the way, this is the theme of, of everything going on in Ezekiel. God is saying, look, my people don't want to serve me. They don't want anything to do with me. They want to get as far from me as they can. And, and God says, okay, you want that, then this is what it's going to look like. This is one of the things that we just don't have a healthy understanding of in, in, a, in, in modern American Christianity is that the, 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 the just God, the judge just God of the Old Testament is still the same God today. That's who he is. He is going to judge us. He is going to hold us accountable. He is just. He does expect us to live lives of holiness and pursuing him. And, and we get this mentality in, the, in, in our, well, it's just, it's just humanism. It's just selfishness. But what we do is we let that come into the church. Instead of the church pushing back against um, uh, selfishness and lust of the flesh, you know, pride of life, all that stuff, instead of the church pushing back against that, we embrace it. The church just keeps embracing more and more and more and more. Um, I've often wondered what it would look like. I, I, you know, I grew up in Pentecostal churches in Texas in the 70s. You can't get more legalistic than that. Everything was a sin, everything. I, I wonder if we could take, like, I, I think of this pastor that when I was a kid, when I was nine, he was my pastor. I think, what if you could take him and just set him right now? He was in his uh, late 60s then. If you could just set him now, what would he say? I've thought about this with guys like, I've been talking about C.S. Lewis. I wonder what C.S. Lewis would think about grooming and LGBT and all this stuff of today. I mean, think, of, think about this stuff. Are you going to say something else? If the light's on, it's off. If the light's off, it's on. Test, te okay, there it is. Okay. So, I mean, shaving the beard and hair, it's humbling to Ezekiel, but would not that draw attention to what God is saying from the people? Because um, if he was just out there being a street preacher, it wouldn't have been as effective, I think. And so God is trying to draw attention to his message by doing this and humbling somebody to get the message out. Yeah, and you and you got to remember from the last few chapters, he's laying on one side for 390 days. He's laying on one side for 40 days. He's doing all this stuff. This God is specifically. This is the epitome of illustrated sermon. He is. He. This is. This is an illustrated. Everything about it is illustration. God is not just having Ezekiel talk. He's having him act out all this stuff and do this stuff. And, and every bit of this has got to be humbling to Ezekiel. I mean, maybe part of it is he's saying, okay, God, thanks for using me. But, but, man, this is a rough way to be used. And every bit of this is to illustrate, for God to illustrate through Ezekiel, he's pretty serious about this. And Ezekiel is willing to go through all this stuff. And, and we know from all of this, we know that this is how God uses us as illustrations sometimes too. Linda? It's just, uh, it makes me wonder, it, it's kind of relative, right, to the culture. If God was doing this to us, what would that look like for him to humble us? It's just one of the yeah. things that I was thinking. Yeah, that's, I, I think this is, so, so guys, I think this is a major crucial thing for us today that we don't process, is, is the fact that God so God's priority, when we see the scripture that says that, uh, that God wants to bless you, you could translate it as prosper you. God wants to prosper you even as your soul prospers, right? We, I've heard many sermons on the first half of that. 
God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. But Scripture is saying as your soul prospers or, or in relationship to how your soul is prospering. And we can be morally bankrupt and still expect God to take care of us and do all these kind of things to the point where we will actually get angry at God, although he is so transcendently holy and amazing. The fact that we breathe one breath ever in our life is an amazing miracle from God. The fact that Jesus would die on the cross is more than we ever deserve. But we have such a mentality of self and pamperedness in America that the idea that we would actually be humbled to the point where we see in Scripture these guys are humbled, that, that's, that's not American Christianity. We would, we would never think like that. We would never do. One, one of the most convicting um, stories, things that I've ever read, is, is uh, the life of Smith Wigglesworth. And here's how, it, it is, um, here's how it's um, so convicting and humbling to me. If you don't know anything about Smith Wigglesworth, you need to get some of his biographies and read it. The best one is from his son-in-law. I think it's, his name is Hyde, something Hyde. But, but um, uh, he talks about... So, so I always look at this as a minister reading about another minister. Other people may not see it that way. But he would do some of the weirdest, most bizarre things in his services. And God would honor this and bless this at a level that, that blows my mind. Okay, um, he would, this is one of the hundreds and hundreds of stories that you can read about him. But there was this uh, guy that came forward and had a big tumor sticking out of his belly. And Smith was praying for him. And then just right in the middle of praying for him, he just reared back and hit him in the stomach. And the tumor fell off on the ground. So I'm praying for somebody. And God says, hit him in the stomach. I'm like, nope. <laughs> right? I, I've told you guys this story before of when, um, this happened to me two times in my life, but I, I was praying for a guy that was in a wheelchair, and he had a disease that, that took, ate all the muscles out of his legs, and so you could just see skin, bone, skin. And God, I'm praying for this guy. I'm 25-ish, somewhere around there. I'm praying for this guy, and God said, tell him to get up and walk. And I'm like, not going to do it. No. Get behind me, Satan. Right? God says, tell him to get up and walk. Satan, your voice sounds a lot like God's, but no. <laughs> I mean, I prayed for this guy. This is Pentecostal church in Texas. Praying for an hour is no big deal. So I got to argue with God for about 30, 40 minutes in this. And I kept saying, no, no, no. Guys, what if God tells you that? You say, well, I would tell him to get up and walk. Would you, though? This is in front of maybe 500 people in the church, and God says, tell him to get up and walk. You know what I'm seeing in my head? He goes, Scott said, get up and walk. And he stands up and falls on his face. That's what I see happening. Right? I mean, am I, di am I different than any of you? Think about what I'm saying. He did. Yes. Well, you guys are rushing me. If you let me give me the story, <laughs> be quiet. So I, I finally just leaned down and whispered to him. And there's like 10 other people praying for this guy. And everybody's praying loud. We're Pentecostals. You pray loud. You anoint him with oil. You jump up and down. You whatever it takes. And so I just whispered in his ear, I might think the Lord wants you to maybe get up and walk. And he said, I'm not kidding. He said, what? I mean, he yells it. I'm like, shh, bring it down. And I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling. I'm, 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 this is the thing is I'm more scared to, to disobey God than if I'm going to get embarrassed or something else. Okay? But this was still very, very big for me. So I, I finally just told him, I said, look, I think, I think God is saying get up and walk. Get up and walk. And he said, Right now, I was like, I don't know. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, yes, you're going to have to get up and walk. I think God has healed you. Get up and walk. So he grabs the handles of his wheelchair. And he was a Mormon guy. He, he was um, he's a president of one of the banks in town. He was a Mormon. I had met him before. I knew who he was. He grabs the arms of his wheelchair and starts like this, right? Starts to get up. 
and his wife, who had rolled him up there and was praying for him, she was raised assemblies of God. She, and she was much older than me, so she was in the assemblies of God back in the 50s and 60s when, like, everybody was getting healed all the time. And she grabbed his shoulders and pushed him back down in the wheelchair and rolled him out of the building. And I was like, whoo, not on me. You know, that's selfish, but that's really what went through my head. But it also confused me because I know God told me that. Get up and walk. So we had Sunday night services. So we're sitting there Sunday night, which are only a couple hours after the morning services. But So we're sitting there, and I'm sitting on the front row right here, a really big sanctuary, and a bunch of commotion starts happening at the back. And I hear this commotion coming up. So as I'm turning around, I see him running up the aisle, and he brought crutches, I think because the wheelchair was probably too heavy. He brought crutches and threw them down on the platform and then just took off running. And this, and this, was an, this had been an, uh, a, a grocery store at one time, like, a, yeah, like an old grocery store or something. And it had a hallway that went all the way around the sanctuary. And he ran out that door headed for the hallway, a big wide hallway, and I was right behind him. I'm running right with him. I thought, I'm getting in this, I'm getting in this glory train. Whatever, whatever's falling off of him, that's what I want. And we ran around, and I looked. Linda was right behind me, and there was about 50 people behind her, and we ran around that building about two or three times. He came in, and he just jumped up and down and just ran all over the platform while our pastor was trying to ask him questions. You know, he's walking around with a microphone God's healed you. Yeah, you know, he's jumping all over. But here's the thing. He's been in that wheelchair for, for a couple of decades. Don't you think you'd run a little bit? I, I, I couldn't. I, even though I know I was praying for him, I'm one of the people. I wasn't the only one. And I know God told me to tell him that, and I did tell him that. It still surprised me when he came running, when he came in the building running. It surprised me. Um, it surprised me so much I jumped up, and then he's running, so I'm like, let's do this together. And he's, he was quick. It surprised me. But so, so God's telling him to do this. What if God tells us to do something? Guys, this is, this is not part of our culture in America. We don't, we don't humble ourselves like this. Oh, we don't mind, we don't mind um, doing something that is, that is um, accepted by the church as maybe spiritual, Maybe even a little off, but accepted as spiritual. Maybe even makes you kind of important, right? Well, if, you know, they, they do this, and, man, they're just, they seem to be more spiritual than us, or however you want to process that. But I'm saying really humble ourselves. This is, I, I joke about this, and I really don't like people's feet. I don't. I don't like theirs. I don't like mine. I don't like feet. Uh, first few years we were married, Linda would slide her foot over to footsie, and I'm like, don't do that. That's off limits. She still does every now and then. She'll, but we got a bed now that separates and different angles, so we're never at the same angle. So it's like I'm, I got a reprieve from that. But before that, every now and then, she's still been married 25 years. She, or so all of a sudden, her foot would touch me, and I'm standing on the outside of the bed now going, I don't like feet, but here's the problem. Jesus said, uh, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. I grew up when churches did that, we washed each other's feet. And I do think, I know, baby, I, I get you. Ooh, I'm with you. But I, I, know, I know that I, some of the most, I've only seen two or three that were just so humbling. You could see this was truly a humbling thing. Where like the pastor and, the, and somebody in the church are at odds and the pastor would go and wash their feet. And you realize this is a, this is completely humbling to him or something like that. And everybody's in tears and all that stuff. I get that. I get that. But I don't, wa- don't want to wash feet. I don't mind humbling myself, but I don't like feet. If, if we could, if this was like a wash your knees, I'll do that all day long. <laughs> right? But, but, I mean, I'm joking some, but, but really to think about what it means to humble yourself. I mean, really humble yourself. Here's one of the biggest, and I'm going to be speaking about this pretty soon. I told you these, these next um, four or five, well, but more than that, six, seven, eight weeks, they're going to be difficult. Um, I'm going to be preaching about forgiveness pretty soon. I, I preached a few weeks ago, love your neighbor. I preached last week. We're supposed to love everybody as we love ourselves. 
And then I'm going to be preaching about you got to forgive or you don't go to heaven. That's how simple it is. You got to forgive. Guys, that is so difficult. We're talking about humbling ourselves. It's difficult for us to walk across a room sometimes and just say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And I've seen this in marriages where we don't do that for years and years and years, and pretty soon there is almost, without the Holy Spirit, it's irreparable damage that we do in our marriages because we're not willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And we let that build and build because how dare we admit some kind of weakness or something. God says to him, shave your hair and your beard. That was one of the worst humbling things that a, a male could do. And everybody's watching him do it. It was just as uncomfortable for them as it was for him. And he said, and then you take this hair and you show them. After, after the humbling, you show them, I am not pleased and this is about to get bad. He's talking about some serious judgment. Verse 7, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You people have behaved worse than your neighbors and have refused to obey my decrees and regulations. Don't you think God thinks that sometimes about the church? I'm saying right now in America, you're behaving worse than your neighbors. I, 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 that, that hurts my soul to think God would say, but I know he's said that to me before. I, I, I haven't told this story in a long time either, but this was, God really got me on this. I was, um, this was the, I was 21, 22 at that time. And I was a youth pastor, and my next-door neighbor was a, uh, one of the high school coaches. And um, he, he just wasn't a nice guy. He was a jerk. And uh, I was much more immature than I am now. And he was, just an, he was just a mean guy. And he had two teenage kids that went to the Baptist church in town. And the Baptist church in town had told all their, their kids, if they sent out a flyer, my kids brought me the flyer. They told all their kids uh, to not hang out with me, the Assemblies of God youth pastor, or any of our kids because speaking in tongues is of the devil. I saw the flyer. I'm like, well, that'll build relationships. And so their kids thought I was like this horrible person because I was a Pentecostal. And uh, so they, I had this huge, big black lab. And uh, they would throw bricks over the fence at my dog. And then he would jump and he was a big, he was about an 85, 90 pound lab. And he would jump up against this wood slat fence and just go to town. And that's not who he was. Very tender hearted dog. He loved kids, all this stuff. But they would, they would do this, and he would slam up against that fence. And I watched that fence get weaker and weaker, and I thought, one day, he's going to eat you. <laughs> and I'm going to supply the barbecue sauce. <laughs> so it really, I really didn't, I, I, I didn't like this guy. His name was Underwood. So I called him Underwear. And I, because I was such a mature youth pastor, my Youth group called him underwear. <laughs> I, I'm, I wish I wouldn't have done some of this stuff, you know. It's a long time ago. But one day, I really, I'm looking at scriptures like this, and God's saying to me, okay, you're upset because they don't like you because you're some of the God Pentecost or whatever, but you're not giving them anything to disagree with that you're the bad guy. One thing you're doing is reinforcing that you're a jerk. You're reinforcing that you, all your teenagers are jerks, and you're teaching them how to be that. You're reinforcing that you don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would never call him underwear. And so I had to go apologize to him one day. I told him, I, am, I have not been acting like a Christian. I am so sorry. You know, so God says here that you people have behaved worse than your neighbors. And, and that doesn't mean their neighbors were acting good. It just means you're worse. And I've refused to obey my decrees and regulations. You have not even lived up to the standards of the nations around you. Therefore, I myself, the sovereign Lord, am now your enemy. That's, that's, that's strong. I, I've had people say that um, about America now, that we're getting to the point where God is now America's enemy. I, I don't necessarily believe that or think that, but I do know that 
that um, that I think that America is now under judgment of God, and we're no longer under this this uh, blessing mentality the way we used to be. I think I, I don't think God has turned His back on us or anything like that. I don't think so because you know I hate to do it this way because this is not a good thing to ever do scripturally. But compared to many other nations, we still have a lot of um, people that fear God in our country, right? But man, we have turned against God as a country. As a people, we've turned against God. I, don't, I hope he's not saying this, though. I don't, I don't think he is. I hope he's not. He says, I, will, I am now your enemy. I will punish you publicly while all the nations watch. Man, that's scary. That's, that is scary to me. If God says, I'm going to punish you, while the nations watch. I don't, know, I don't know what that would look like. I mean, I know what it happens to Ezekiel here, but I don't know what that would look like for America, and that bothers me. And I pray all the time, God, forgive us. Not forgive them or not God kill them. I know there's scriptural context for that, but I don't think that's... I think after the cross, we don't pray like that nowadays. Um, we pray, God, your will, right? God... We repent. The first church I was a youth pastor at, I've told some stories before that it wasn't good. I'd come back to East Texas to to marry Linda, and my Chi Alpha director was there, and he said, how are you liking ministry? I'd been there maybe four or five months max, and he said, how are you liking ministry and all this stuff? I'm like, I hate it. <laughs> the pastor was not good the, the, to me. The church, there was people in the church that were good, but it was a very religious, um, hypocritical, legalistic church, very strong. And I wasn't enjoying it, and I kept telling him, they, they do this, they do this, they do this. And he let me vent for about 30 minutes. He said, okay, that's, that's enough. He said, aren't you the youth pastor there? I said, yeah. And he said, then why do you keep saying them? Isn't it us and we? I was like, oh, don't be all scriptural on me. And it really changed the way I began to pray. God, forgive us. Change us. I, I tell you, that is one of the better things you can do in a marriage, by the way, is instead of um, however you're thinking or praying, begin to pray, God, forgive me. That's it. Whatever your spouse is doing, God, forgive me. God, help me to see you better. Help me to serve you the way you want me to serve you. And just do that. Why? Because you can't change the other person anyway. Why, why attack that and just beat that drum to death? Why constantly be on them and be on them and be on them? You're not going to change them. In fact, what you can actually do is drive them farther into whatever that is. But when you begin to say, God, forgive me, change me, it's amazing what God not only does with you, but will begin to do with them. Right? I know this is not easy stuff. He says, I will punish you like I've never punished anyone before or ever will again. Well, the first part of that, let me read it. Because of your detestable idols, I will punish you like I have never punished anyone before or ever will again. Parents will eat their own children and children will eat their own parents. Uh, this is not because God is causing them to. This is because they are starving to death because God has closed up the, the outpouring of heaven, however you want to say that. He's judging them. You're not going to have food to eat. You're not going to do all this stuff. And what do, what do sinful people do and get worse and worse and worse? What is one of the things that you can tell that a society is completely debased and without God? They begin to kill their kids. They begin to murder their babies. So many times, that's what we went through Jeremiah when they turn completely away from God, they begin to sacrifice their children to God's or eat their kids. It's all the same. They don't, have a, they don't care about life anymore. They don't, care, they don't honor and respect the amazingness of God's creativeness in our life. And they don't care anymore. It's more selfish. See, for me, I don't care how bad it got. I would do whatever I could to keep my kids alive. Right? I, would, I would give my physical life so that my kids could live. And they're doing the opposite here. Why? They don't, they've, they've walked away from God. I will punish you and scatter you to the winds, the few who survive. 
As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I will cut you off completely. I will show you no pity at all because you have defiled my temple with your vile images and detestable sins. A third of your people will die in the city from disease and famine. Where, where do we see a similar thing like that happen? Revelation? Actually, we see it quite a few times in the Old Testament. Let's not, I should have qualified that. In the New Testament, we see where a third of the earth will die. Why? Because the tribulation is God's judgment on the earth and the inhabitants of the earth. And a third of the people will die. A third of them will be slaughtered by the enemy outside the city walls, and I will scatter a third to the winds, chasing them with my sword. This is, this is, um, this is a precursor to the tribulation. Then at last my anger will be spent and I will be satisfied. And when my fury against them has subsided, all Israel will know that I, the Lord, have spoken to them in my jealous anger. So I will turn you into a ruin, a mockery in the eyes of the surrounding nations to all who pass by. That's part of the shaving the hair and the beard, right? You'll become an object of mockery and taunting and horror. I, I thought about this. I was thinking about this when we were reading some of the stuff out of Jeremiah, but... Um, how do you think the rest of the world looks at us right now with our president? When, when, when we go to these summits, and I, and I saw another video the other day where he's sitting there trying to read this speech, and all these other leaders are just staring at him, and he can't get through the speech. And I think to myself, ah, why? Why do we... Why do we have to look like this? What about the days of Reagan where, man, they, they walked in there and everybody knew Reagan was the guy in charge. And if he wasn't in charge, turn around because Margaret Thatcher was right there. Right? Yes, ma'am. So uh, you mentioning how countries may see us with our current president, uh, when I went on a trip to Israel as well as Greece, we actually asked those, what do you think of America? And they would laugh. They would laugh. And it's like, even though we know our country's corrupt compared to you guys, it's funny. And yeah. it was shocking. And well, not shocking, but. Yeah, Greece is the country that took everybody's bank accounts and cleaned them out. And they think we're the ones who have problems. Because we do, Al. So, uh, a perfect example of, of um, how it is okay for that man to be the way he is, is Congress has changed the rules of uh, dress etiquette in, in Congress, in the Senate, to accommodate Senate. the most, um, uh, I don't, what are we, he, he's, he's uh, incompetent doesn't begin to cover the, the state of this. I mean, John Fetterman, he can't yeah. speak. He can't put one coherent thought together let alone two. So he's a, he's a perfect double for Biden. But if, if the way Fetterman dresses is okay with them, because he goes everywhere in Bermuda shorts, no suits, no ties, uh, not even sport jackets and open-collar shirts, if that's okay with them, why isn't Biden okay with them? Yeah. It may not be okay with us, but they have their own set of, of acceptability. Uh, so. Yeah. Now, they've only done this in the Senate, but to me, this is, this is the highest legislative body in the world. Not in this country, in the world. You, you, to wear a suit and a tie is basics. Um, they're talking about this already uh, for our uh, um, legislature here. I, so... So you guys don't know this stuff unless you're up there, okay? But I get this question every now and then. So, so when somebody stands at the wall, when I'm standing at the wall and I'm speaking, over to my left, there's a big window that people open, and you'll see them going in and out that window. Anybody ever watched it and seen that? They're going out to a balcony out there. It's a beautiful big balcony that faces the mountains. It faces west, faces the, um, the uh, mayor's... Um, the, this, this, the, what is that called? Civic building. Um, across what we would call the Colorado Mall, across that grassy mall area. And uh, they go out there to smoke pot and get drunk. They do this every day. 
while we're in session, we're discussing bills. We're debating bills, and they're sitting out there, on the, and we make them close the window because if not, we're all getting high. The first time they went out there, and I'm smelling this, I just stopped and said, somebody's got to close that window. And they looked at me like, well, he's such a prude. And they go out there and get drunk. They, they, they smoke pot and get drunk. Well, you don't see that. You don't see that when you're, you just see them go out there. And, and we, everybody thinks, oh, we are so, uh, we're, we're such professionals, all that kind of stuff. But a lot of these people are the opposite of professionals. They don't respect the state. They don't respect the laws. They don't respect the people in that building. This whole thing is a joke, and they play games the whole time with this. They don't care. They don't even come in. One of the people, the guy that on 420, he passed out joints to every representative. He came to me and he said, you probably don't want one, huh? I said, no, I don't want one. Little tube with a joint and a big, big doobie. He, they was passing them out. He thought it was hilarious. And all the representatives are laughing and making a big deal about this. You're passing out joints in the house while we're in session. That's exactly what this is, this is so disrespectful. Why? Because we stopped respecting a lot of things before it showed up at something like the Senate. When we can elect somebody like Fetterman that, that literally is, is in such ill health that he cannot put sentences together, and they know this, that they do it anyway, it's because they don't respect, they don't respect any of this. They don't respect our country. But, but here's the thing. Not wearing suits and ties in the Senate, but we've been murdering babies for years. That's not that big of a thing. We disrespect everything, starting with the fact that God is the one who created our country. You guys know this. I, I've said this. I don't think that our country was based upon God's word. I believe that God supernaturally ordained our country to be. He started America. He started it and called people to this. Just like uh, we would call a missionary to a foreign country, God called them to come to these shores and start America. And that's why people hate America. Americans hate America so bad. Because we didn't just start with the Bible. We started from the breath of God. And I believe that we are an ordained country to accomplish what God has accomplished with us until about the last 50 years. And we finally got enough Far enough away from God that people can now break ties completely. And it's now affecting our whole country. And, and that's why, that's why anti-God thinking people hate our country so much. When you go to non-Western countries, when you go somewhere besides, you know, England and places like that, but you go into Africa, you go to India, you go places up until the last, you know, couple of presidential cycles. But until then, we were still very well respected around the world. I still go places. I'm going to India in November. When I go to India, uh, when they see me as an American, they'll fall all over trying to carry my bags for me and do all this stuff. And people say, well, it's just because you're considered a rich American. That's not it totally. They really do respect Americans in, in just a profound way, Pat. I think the Bible is very clear that God puts men in control, that he's in control of all that. And I have to think that the reason we've got uh, the president that we have and the Congress that we have and the state governments we have is because God is not blessing us anymore. He blessed us with leaders that were great uh, and call it a curse. I just call it lack of blessing. I think he's just pulled his blessing away from America. I think he's allowing this to happen. If you want to worship the things that they're for, worship it. He's yeah. not going to force you to follow him. This is the trick where, where you, have to, you have to really look at this scripturally. When, it, when scripture says that God puts up presidents and kings and all that kind of stuff. Well, to me, the place you have to go back to is when King Saul, right? And God kept telling him, you don't want, you don't want a king. Yeah, we do. No, you don't want a king. Yeah, we do. We want to be like the other countries. And God finally said, okay, I'll let you have a king. Was that God's will? No, that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's will. But the people fought against God and begged God so much for their plan, he gave them their plan, which is still consistent in the New Testament too. Romans 1 says he'll turn you over to your own thoughts and your own mind. He'll turn you over to that. 
You beg God enough and he'll give you what you ask for. And this is, this is even where it gets tricky when people pray, you know, God's blessings and I want to be wealthy and do all this kind of stuff. And they, and they use this um, prosperity mentality. Let me tell you, it actually works. Because God will eventually say, okay, you want that? that you can have that life. But that doesn't mean it's God's plan for you. I, I've seen this with um, people uh, uh, wanting to marry people. Well, I, I, w- I want to marry that person. God, may God bless this. God give, and God is saying to them, and oftentimes to the rest of family, I've said this to a lot of young couples before, if all of your family does not like the person that you're trying to date, you might want to slow down and think about it. Because they know you. I'm not saying like, my mom doesn't like her. That's not what I mean. I mean everybody in the family is not going with this. It's not jiving. You ought to at least pause. Right? Specifically if they're Christians and they don't like this person. Pause. But, but no, you can, you can push and push and push and you can actually end up with not God's plan. And you can do that in any area of life. You can do that with the job that you desire, with the... With, um, you know, God's putting it in your heart, don't buy that car or something like that. And you'd know I'm going to do this. God will let you do what you want. Well, this is why we have the presidents that we have. We have begged and begged and begged for this for, for decades. And then something happens. Well, I believe this. You may not line up with this exactly, but I believe this. Something like Obama happens, which I think he is tied with Jimmy Carter as the worst president ever. And he, in fact, there are some people, including Thomas Sowell, who's black, by the way, that thinks he's the worst president ever because he also added so much prejudice to our country in ways that we had left behind decades ago. And then I think what happens is people wake up and they begin to pray and they begin to pray and they begin to pray. And then God says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to listen to that a little bit here and we're going to change some things. And then, and then you get a Trump that actually stands against some of this stuff and this is, this is what's happening. This is my fear in the next presidential election. If we have it, by the way, I've told you, I don't think there's a, I think there's a good chance we won't have another election. And I can explain all that. But let's say we do. I'm scared to death that we're going to get the whoever. It's Trump or, or maybe he's not in the running. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does at this point. But we get the guy that we think we should have in the White House. That scares me to death. Because I've watched this for many times. All the Christians go, woo, we won, and we can stop trying. We can stop fighting. We can stop praying. We can stop doing whatever. And the, the, the spirit of Antichrist is still rushing across our country. But we, we win a one little thing. And we get so excited instead of realizing we're, that's not how we're winning the battle. We're not going to win the battle by putting the person we want in the White House. We're going to win the battle when we get on our knees and we repent. Everybody, we repent. We repent. Not by electing somebody. And that sounds weird because I am now also an elected person. But I'm not Jesus' savior for the House of Representatives. I'm just somebody he sent me in to fight. I feel like he sent me into the lion's den, but the lion's mouths are not closed. That's what I feel like. So, okay, God, if, if, if you're sacrificing me to the cause, I'll do it. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to be upset, and I'm going to tell you about it. <laughs> right? Don't you think we should have that right? Al. Right. So I, I wish I could tell you which, which epistle this is in. I don't remember. But uh, we were told that in the last days, mockers would come. And that's what the people you were describing. It's way back in the discussion we were talking about the dopers at the, at the Capitol building. And they are. They're mockers. And they're yeah. not the only ones. But everybody who feels that they're superior to what God has for us is a mocker. Yeah. And that's what's going on. They're all mocking this is, God. This is a, this is a joke. This will not be mocked. This is a, a big joke. I will, shower you, I will shower you with the deadly arrows, arrows of famine to destroy you. The famine will become more and more severe until every crumb of food is gone. And along with the famine, wild animals will attack you and rob you of your children. Disease and war will stalk your land, and I will bring the sword of the enemy against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Let's jump to chapter 8. Okay. I told Linda I would start wrapping up at 8.15. 
So let's go to chapter 8 as I wrap up. Hmm. There's no way I can start this and get wrapped up. So, so we're going we're gonna to jump to chapter 8 and chapter, did I say 18? I mean 8. Chapter 8 and chapter 9, we're going to do that next week. I, I think chapter 9, Ezekiel chapter 9 is, I think, one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible for the church. Um, not necessarily for the individual Christian, not for like a, a people. There's, I mean, you can take different things and different stories and all kinds of things. That, uh, but I think chapter 9, Ezekiel chapter 9, is one of the most important stories for the church and specifically for today um, that there is. And I would say very close on the hills uh, is the Valley of Dry Bones, which we're going to look at too. Okay. So uh, with that, I, I do want to to encourage you, uh, please be praying about a few things, okay? We are um, looking for a worship pastor. We're, we're, we've been interviewing some people, and we've had some just wonderful candidates that we've been talking to, some, some just very extremely qualified people, and, and, uh, which, is, which is wonderful, except then, then you've got to pray, right? Because if they're all qualified, now... It comes down to God wanting something, which is so different than the way we normally do it around here. There should be laughter at that point. Yeah, okay. So be praying with us uh, about this. Um, Also, I mentioned Sunday that they were going to start the uh, landscaping. Monday, uh, the the company is about a week and a half behind. Sound sound right? And uh, they're going to start that, um, I think, the week following this week coming up. So, um, so that, again, as I mentioned Sunday, that's going to cost 77000 Yes, we have that in the bank, but we're trying to make sure that we keep building what we have in the bank up. And so if you can contribute to that, um, the, all the landscaping stuff, that'd be great. Uh, we want to get to the end of the year where that 77000 has been paid and we're still putting money in the... Um, in the uh, building fund, the savings account. Actually, what we're doing is putting in savings. Anything that's earmarked building fund, we put it into building fund account that is limited. So you guys know, we if you if you designate something, we have to spend it on that no matter what. So we put that, but we're not putting all of our savings into the building fund because once it goes in there, it's earmarked, and we want to keep it uh, available depending on how the banks want something done, all that kind of stuff. Um, they are getting, they are moving along on the uh, the uh, zoning of everything. We're rezoning all of this this land back here, uh, so that we can um, sell parts of it. Or we, we don't we don't have a plan yet, except that it, it will be available in case somebody wants to buy it. And uh, we have had some little nibbles along the way, or something, but we don't know. We're, we're zoning in such a way that we could put like a, a strip mall out there, or we could put. Um, uh, like even an apartment, like condos, like two-story. We could even go up to three-story, but we would put those on the north end so that they don't affect our view. But there is going to be a neighbor that's going to be upset about that. They've visited with us many times over the years. Um, so, so we don't know what we're doing there. We don't know what that is. But once we get it re- uh, rezoned, it'll be set up for we can do just about anything uh, that we want with that. And that will that will basically finance most of our building uh, when we do that. So, so these are things to be thinking about, praying about. We do have some, um, some stuff coming up. We have our, our uh, chunk retreat coming up. It's, it's one of our bigger outreaches that we do. We have hundreds of, of uh, families that show up, and everybody has a trunk. If you, have, if, you, if you don't even know what that is, talk to one of our staff about this. Talk to um, Emily, our children's pastor, about this. She can tell you all about that. But the more trunks we have, the better. We have, we have food trucks. We have all kinds of stuff that we do with this. And we really, it gives us opportunity to present the gospel to people and, um, and connect with a lot of families. And we've had, we've had it different years. We've had um, families that will come to church because we do that. And uh, it's, it's always fun. It's always exciting. So think about jumping in and helping us uh, with that. So with everything that we're talking about here, how do we pray? Not all of that stuff, but how do we pray about the scripture stuff?
Okay. I would say anytime you pray conviction for the people or the masses, there should be a prayer before that. Yes. God, convict me. If I'm doing something that you're not pleased with, convict me. Not something somebody's told me. But Lord, I want to hear from you. If I need to change something, convict me. For, for it to become a people, there has to be a bunch of persons. So God, convict me, change me. What, what do I need to do different? Just, just pick an area of your life, my family. What do I need to do? My workplace, what do I need to do different? My relationships, what do I need to do different? God, convict me and change me so that I can what? So that when I pray, and I'm praying God also, um, I, I think there has to be layers. God, first, I repent. Second, as a person of Church of Bargate, I repent. As a person of State of Colorado, I repent. As an American, I repent. You say, well, I haven't done all this stuff. I, I, I understand that, but at some particular point, it's us. And here's also the thing is I don't think that we, the body of Christ, has done a good job of stopping some of this stuff. So maybe we do a little bit more repenting um, before we point out there, right? This, this is part of the reason that I, I, I'm now going to the Capitol is because there's only so long you can point and say them, they, until you do something. And I ran my mouth about that for years. And God said, okay, now do something. I'm like, God, you've called me to tell other people to do something. And uh, God doesn't think like that. So, so, so God, forgive us. And then, God, save our country. Save our state. Just, just save us. Um, we need that. Uh, here's another one I think we should pray that's part of this. Is God help me to be willing for you to humble me, whatever that might look like. God help me to humble myself or you humble me, whatever that means. Right? I just don't think we do a good job of that. So, anything else? Anything else pop in your mind, your spirit that we need to pray for, pray about. Here's one that I think always, God, reveal your word to me that I see where the mistakes might be, that I could see this or that or however you look at this. God, I want to see this stuff, right? Yes, ma'am. Just real quickly, um, praying that when God speaks to us, that we, we hear him, we know his voice, and we remember I can't tell you how many times he, yeah. he speaks to me, and then I forget and go on. Yeah. Yeah, you know, write it down. Make a plan. This is why I'll say sometimes on Sunday mornings, I'm praying that God will remind you of this this week. Don't forget. Think about it. Let God do something with you, right? Don't just go, oh, that felt good. Do something. Let's pray. God, we thank you. You are so big. You are so majestic. You are so powerful. God, we are so small, but you, but you let us in this big plan. You told us your plan. Lord, we are, we've got everything that we need for life and godliness. So, Lord, I ask you to help us to humble ourselves before you. Humble ourselves so that we hear your voice. God, teach every one of us in this room how to hear your voice better. I know you are speaking to every person in this room regularly. God, help us to hear, help us to listen, understand, learn to hear you better. God, teach us to hear you. But then God, also help us to do what you told us to do. Even if it's difficult, Lord, help us to do what you've told us to do. Even if it's humiliating, God, help us to do what you've called us to do. Lord, give us boldness to stand when we need to. And give us meekness to, to, to bow our head before you and whatever that means to the people. God, we do repent. We ask you to forgive us. Lord, forgive me when I act more like me than I'm supposed to act like you. Forgive me. 
God, and I pray across this, this whole room that we would be filled with your presence, your spirit, and covered with your blood, Jesus. That we would walk strongly in you and not in us. That we may decrease so that you may increase. And God, and we pray this. We pray this not just for our church, but churches all across Springs. Or churches that don't even know, but, but you've got a plan to visit them in a powerful way. Lord, do it. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. All right. Chapter 8, chapter 9 next week. You do not have to go home, but you got to get out of here. <laughs>